Romans chapter 1, verse 8, Paul writes, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Would you pray once more with me? Father God, I ask for your help for me this morning uh, that I would stand fast on your truth, uh, rely upon your word who alone has power to transform, to change, uh, to convert, to make alive. And so, God, through your spirit, uh, by your Son, in accordance with your word, I pray you would do a work that only you can do this morning. Uh, a work of salvation, and a work of sanctification. So use this, uh, this time, use these next moments. May I, may we lay down our lives for you to have your way with us. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. As uh, James was leading our prayer for the nations this morning regarding Afghanistan and, and considering all that's gone on in the news this week uh, about that country and to think of uh, the Taliban who has taken over that country, you, you, you almost just feel hopeless when you look uh, at what's going on and you consider the reality of, of what's going on there and the, the people who are in charge uh, of the, the country now and what they're doing um, to many, but even specifically Christians and pastors. Uh, and just there in that moment, I, I realized that, that the Apostle Paul was much like those who had taken over Afghanistan, uh, a persecutor, a murderer of Christians, in that day and age, and, and yet look what the Lord did to his life in, in, in a moment when he, the Lord Jesus uh, appeared and revealed himself to the Apostle Paul, transforming his life, redeeming his life, changing that. And so uh, Paul, who is the author of this book that we uh, are reading, and, and when you see and you read about his hopes, about what he is longing for, what he is willing to do, and you think about the transformation that went, went on in his life, let, let Romans, let 
Paul's life be an encouragement to us to keep praying, to uh, keep hoping in the Lord, not what we simply see with our eyes on the news or hear about. Um, Let us continue steadfastly in prayer, believing that God could transform the leader of the Taliban and and the leaders that are ruling in that country now just like he did Paul. Um, God could do it for his honor and for his glory, as we sang earlier as well. This passage, uh, though, is, is, is going to be a helpful uh, challenge, I think, to each of us as we consider Paul's life uh, as a converted Christian, as a, uh, one who had been reconciled, using his own words, back to God. Uh, when we look at Paul's life, we'll be able to consider w- what a sincere, authentic faith looks like when it's, when it's lived out rightly. Um, but we'll also consider our own hopes and our own longings. And, and in this passage, Paul tells the Romans what he hopes for, what he longs for. And I wonder if, if we uh, were to spend a moment and write down our hopes and our dreams for this week, for this semester, for this year, um, for this season of life? What are our hopes and our dreams? Would our hopes, would our dreams be as God-centered, as gospel-centered, as others-centered, as Paul's hopes were in, as described in this passage? Uh, myself, my prayers, um, my hopes... Uh, are, are so often self-focused, self-motivated, uh, relying upon earthly um, hopes rather than eternal hopes, r- r- circling around back to myself rather than to others, um, seeking to honor uh, myself rather than the Lord. And so we have an opportunity here to consider our hopes, to consider our our dreams, to consider our longings uh, today, this week, this semester, but also to consider our our life. Um, How does our life match up to uh, the picture of a life that is transformed by the gospel? So consider that with me in in Romans this morning in verses 8 through 15 as we just read, and if you're taking notes I hope that you would write these things down, starting with a sincere faith results in, first, a thankfulness to God. You see in verse 8, it says, first, and, and as a preacher, when I read that word first, I thought, oh, this is going to be good. I'm going to get a first, a second, and a third, maybe even a bonus fourth in this passage to be able to just put my points there for you, and I wouldn't even have to, you know, like Paul's going to do this for me. But in normal Paul fashion, he gets to the first and then just starts rolling and forgets to even tell you what second, third, fourth, fifth is in in a row. So we we had to do some work here. You won't find a second in my passage this morning or later on in this, but it's just kind of his kicking off point. And in this, uh, in this continued introduction, 
to his, the larger body of his letter, which we'll get to in a couple weeks. He says, first of all, I, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Again, I want you to note that a sincere faith, Paul's sincere, authentic transformation to faith in Jesus Christ, who died and rose from the dead and made himself known to Paul, resulted in a thankfulness. Uh, a thankfulness, a boasting, even if you will, as Paul would go on later to say, not in himself, but in the Lord. And Paul is thankful for so much. And this is something that comes across in all of his letters. If you go to read the letters of Paul, 13 of them in the New Testament, in many of those, you're going to see him regarding what he's thankful for. He has this overflowing thankfulness for really anything and everything around him that the, that the Lord has done. And specifically, what the Lord had done uh, was granted saving faith to those who were in Rome, so much so that their faith was now being proclaimed in all of the world. Uh, like I mentioned last week, it's one thing for Christianity to um, be in all of these outskirt towns of the Roman Empire. It's a whole another thing for the gospel and a church to be planted and growing and building in the capital city of the Roman Empire. And yet, that's what was being done. In all of the outskirts, all of the the little towns at the fringes of the empire, it was being made known that there were believers in Jesus in the capital city, uh, un underneath the, the nose of the emperor in that place. And Paul is not giving thanks to, you know, the people, the individuals who took the gospel there. He's not praising them for this belief, he's thanking God that the gospel had been made known there, that God had opened the eyes of those who worshipped the false idols in Rome and now declared their allegiance to the living God, the one true and living God. Paul is giving thanks to the Lord for those things. He's praising them. And this is something that we ought to do. In fact, we had the privilege of doing that this morning, giving thanks that in a country that looks so desperate and, and hopeless, from, according to the news um, the past week and, and several weeks, uh, is actually a place where the gospel is growing the most. And who's to be thanked for that? It's the Lord. No, no one could write that story. Nobody could make that up. Nobody could come up with a strategy to bring that about. That's the Lord's doing. And it's just like Him to do a work like that in, in some of the hardest places to reach. And so, yes, our regular prayer for the nations ought to include a regular thanksgiving to the Lord. 
even though it's 0.2% Christian in that place of Afghanistan, um, there is much to be thankful for that's going on. Uh, yes, there's much to pray for, and there's much to be hurting for and sorrowful over and, and um, m- much to hate even that's going on in that country. Uh, at the same time, there's much to be thankful for. And we have a God who is sovereign over Afghanistan, a God who is sovereign over Rome, a God who was sovereign over uh, emperors even before that. And that's what Paul is thankful for here. And I wonder if, if in our life, if, if there's that regular thanksgiving, that uh, overflow of thanksgiving, if I were to ask your spouse or, or parents, even better, if I were to ask your kids, uh, what, do your, what do your parents pray for often? How do they start their prayers often? Or if I were to listen to your kids in prayer, they would probably imitate and mimic your prayers. And so it, it would be told, told us, you know, how you pray. If I were to ask your coworkers, does thankfulness reside in this person? Is there an overflow of thankfulness even in times when, when, when people aren't normally thankful? I hope with an increased uh, obedience that there would be more and more thankfulness in us, in all of us, as we remember all that God has done for us, that all, is, all that God has done in, in Christ, that all God has done in saving us, in providing for us, um, that we would regularly be, be thankful. Um, Paul tells and even commands this later, be thankful always. Uh, we ought to always be rejoicing in the Lord. This was evident in Paul's life, not only in Romans, but in so many of these letters. Might that be visible? Might that be audible in our lives as well? An overflowing heart of thankfulness. That, I think that's true of uh, a sincere faith. It was true of Paul's life. I think it ought to be true in our life as well, remembering what God has done in our life and in Christ. But not only thankfulness, not only should a sincere faith result in a thankfulness to God, it should also result in submission to God's will. Now this will be important for us to consider when we're thinking about our hopes, when we're thinking about our longings. Maybe your title of, of this paragraph says, longing to go to Rome. Paul uses that, that language in this passage, but this These few verses right here will help us to submit our longings to the Lord's will. And that that should be true of all of those who have a sincere saving faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 9 it says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Asking that some, excuse me, I don't know why I said that. Asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. 
For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Paul opens this sentence and and says that for God is my witness and goes on and says that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Now, any good Christian is good at telling another good Christian, hey, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for you. Um, Unfortunately, many of us forget and we don't pray. We see that person again and we think, I told that person I'd pray for them. I didn't pray for them. Um, or maybe we, uh, that, that's, that's the highest hopes, is that we tell someone we pray for them and we just truly forgot. We didn't make a note about it. We didn't um, commit it to memory. Unfortunately, more often than that, we're in the Christian habit of saying, oh, I'm going to pray for you. I'll pray for you. Brother, sister, I'm going to pray for you. What can I be praying for you? Okay. And then we don't even think about like actually giving a minute, five minutes, ten minutes time to actually praying that. Did you notice what what Paul says? He, He says, I've mentioned you always in my prayers. God is my witness, essentially. Now try that this week. Try only telling someone that you're going to pray for them with God as your witness, knowing that God could strike you down if he wanted to. I, I had to practice that this week. I had another brother, uh, I, I was selling something online, and he was coming over to pick it up, and he had a young pastor's shirt on, a cohort shirt on, and I was like, I'm technically still young pastor, like maybe, but he told me that it cut off at 40, so I was like, okay, I'm old. So we were, we were conversating, and we got to the point where we were like, hey, what can I pray for you for? And I said, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I, I'm going to truly pray for you because what I'm preaching this week, uh, you know, tells me that Paul said God was his witness, and so I want you to know I'm truly going to be praying for you and have since prayed for this other pastor at uh, one of our other local churches here in Arlington at Tate Springs. But this is something we should put into practice. Don't just tell someone, hey, we're going to pray for you. Uh, oh, what well, can I be praying for you? And, and then just go about our day and never commit it to me. Write it down. You know, even better, stop right then and there and actually pray for that person before you. Um, Tell Siri to remind you to pray for that person at that moment that they tell you they're going to have an appointment for a, a job interview, uh, for a doctor's appointment, for a this, that, or the other. Uh, let's be intentional in our prayer life. Paul was, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, showing how good and how great this witness to his prayer life really was. That without ceasing, and we see that in Paul's uh, letters as well, that we ought to not only give thanks without ceasing, but we ought to pray without ceasing. And he does. Now, how do, how do you pray without ceasing? Every moment of every day, always, you know, trying to go through that list. But no, but 
regularly, a consistent, regular attitude of prayer, bringing before the Lord the things that only the Lord can do, and asking Him to do uh, above and beyond more than all that we could ask or imagine. And Paul does that. He mentions them always in his prayers. And, and why does he do that? He tells us, look at the, the, the end of verse 10. What is he always mentioning them in his prayers regarding? Asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul was mentioning them always in his prayers, but always asking that God would get him to Rome. Always longing, as, as we'll see later, why he wanted to get to Rome, eventually to preach the gospel, but it was his desire to always get to Rome. And yet right there in the midst of him laying down his, one of the things he was praying for always, we see that he ultimately submits that prayer to the Lord's will. Asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Uh, this was, uh, again, another play out of Jesus' playbook. He who um, prayed on the night, before, the night that he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, to his very Father, God in heaven, Lord, if there's any other way for your children to be saved other than me going to the cross, take this cup away from me, but not my will, that your wills be done. Your will be done. Jesus himself had an earthly will of wanting to find another way rather than dying on the cross and absorbing the wrath of God for the sins of the world, uh, sought to find another way. And yet, though he prayed that, he said, but not my will, your will be done. Paul, longing to, with, I think, godly and, and gospel ambition and desire to get to Rome to make the gospel known even further, and yet, even in that, submitted his will to the Lord's will. You may have good desires, Christian, good desires to do good things, to uh, make the gospel known in your workplace, to uh, you praying, Lord, give me more finances. I want to give more to you, and yet not my will, but your will be done. Maybe it's not the Lord's will to give you more and for you to just be faithful with what you have, even though you might be more generous uh, with more. Paul was able to submit his will to the Lord's will. And I wonder if we make that a pattern in our normal prayers. If we have a faith in a God who is greater and bigger than we can even imagine, then we should be able to trust Him with uh, our future. If we have a God who is infinite in knowledge and we pray according to our knowledge, then we should be able to trust Him and say, not 
my will, if my will is not your will, Lord, and my knowledge is not your knowledge, and my scope is limited and yours is unlimited, then if this be your will, then bring it about. But if it's not, then don't bring it about. I was reading through a book this week, a devotional prayer book, uh, Prayers of, uh, of the Puritans, and the, one of the prayers this week was a thankfulness to the Lord for not giving him all the things he had asked for. Have you ever got to the place where you're able to turn around and look at that journey behind you and actually say, God, I'm actually really thankful you didn't give me what I asked for because it would have been so much less than what you actually gave me. And I wouldn't have had to trust you as much as I actually had to trust you in this. And I wouldn't have loved you if you would have given me that as much as I love you now and appreciate what you've done for me now. Uh, time will tell uh, oftentimes. And, and we ought to remember those moments and then pray accordingly. Pray, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. A sincere faith will result in submission to God's will. A submission to God's will in our prayer life. A submission to God's will in our actual life. A submission to God's will and God's ways in our devotional life, in our spiritual life, in our obedience. We are saying, God, you are God and we are not. And we are going to submit to your will. Uh, by God, saying things like, Lord willing, I'll be able to do this or that. By God's grace, I'll be able to do this or that, uh, bring this about. Consider that in your own life. This was evident in Paul's life, and he makes that clear even in these following verses. In verse 11, as he continues on, he says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. The third thing I want you to note in this passage regarding a, a sincere faith is that a sincere faith results in encouragement for one another. An encouragement for one another. Thankfulness to God, submission to God's will, and encouragement for one another. Paul, like we've mentioned, was longing to see them, was desiring to get to Rome. Uh, that was made evident in the book of Acts when we studied through that book. It's made evident in uh, the opening to this letter to the Romans. Uh, we also see that uh, later on in this book of his desire to get there. And he will eventually get there. Uh, though it wouldn't be probably according to his plan. More according to God's plan and God's will. But he longed to see them. And he tells them why that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Now, if you've grown up in church, you 
You've heard this phrase, spiritual gift. Um, Paul's not saying here that by him going to Rome, these Roman Christians are now going to have the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, and that he's going to be, by his presence being um, in Rome, that all of a sudden the gifts of the Spirit are going to be available to the believers. Uh, Those gifts that he makes uh, mention of later in, in Romans 12 and in Romans, or 1 Corinthians 12. What Paul is saying, what I think Paul is saying in saying that he wants to get to them to give them some spiritual gift is that the gifts of the Spirit that were given to him, he would be able to use to be able to encourage and strengthen them. Isn't that what the gifts of the Spirit are given to believers for? They're not given for our own benefit, but they're given to us to be able to benefit others. And so Paul is is saying, I long to get there that I may strengthen you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to be able to strengthen you. Paul wanted to use the gifts of the Spirit, the, the gifts of grace that God had given him to be able to strengthen them. Preaching teaching, um, boldness and courage in the gospel to be able to impart to them some um, strength in the faith. And that, that strength, for those of you that were here last week, again, in this intro, we see things that are introduced here, developed in the whole letter, and then concluded in the following, in the benediction uh, at the end of the letter. If you remember the the benediction that we uh, rehearsed together last week, Paul ends this letter by saying, now to him who is able to strengthen you. Paul knew that he had been gifted by the Lord with certain gifts that could be used to then strengthen others. But who was the source of the strength? It was God. It was God, and Paul understood that. And Paul wanted to be used by God to strengthen the church in Rome. He he goes on beyond that. Not only did he want to strengthen them, but in verse 12 he says, that is really, kind of saying, really that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul says, "I, I want to use my spiritual gifts with you to build you up, but in reality, I know that you're going to use your spiritual gifts towards me and build me up. There's going to be a mutual encouraging of our faith, a mutual building up of our faith when we get together. And I don't know about you, but that's one of the things I love about gathering together on Sunday mornings. I love to preach and to teach and to share what the Lord has taught me that week, um, to be able to share the the benefits uh, of the knowledge that the Lord has granted me in my study, but I love to be encouraged by you. I love to sit in class and ask the question and hear your answers, uh, Miss Sobers, this morning about your definition of faith, and on and on and on. I love to hear and be encouraged about how the Lord is working in your life and what God has done for you and this, that, or the other. I look forward to those moments, to gathering together. This is what the church is, a mutual building up of 
of one another. And, and as Paul was explaining to them, not only did he long to encourage and strengthen them, but he wanted to be encouraged and strengthened by them. That word uh, for encourage there, that mutual encouragement there, is really the same root word that we get for the Holy Spirit. It's the Greek word paraclete, or in this form, parakaleo. Kaleo is a, a calling out uh, to come alongside para and call out one another. So there is this coming alongside and this using our words to build one another up in that. The Spirit is the greatest encourager and builder up, uh, but we too are to, by the gifts of the Spirit, be able to come alongside one another and build one another up. And a sincere faith will result in an encouragement for one another. And we, we know some of those people who are just abundantly encouraging. I mean, they have the gift of encouragement. They are that Barnabas-type brother that you just you want to be around because they're encouraging. Uh, they build you up. They lift you up. They pray for you. They strengthen you. They encourage you. And man, when you think you've done terribly, they actually find something positive in it to say. And you just can't, you want to have dinner with them. You want to hang out with them. And then you know some of the other people that are not so gifted in that. And would like to be around them a little bit less. And would rather spend your time around some other people who uh, are a little bit more gifted in that area of your life. But, but notice, notice here, this is the mutual encouragement is not a spiritual gift. Uh, it is a gift in the Spirit to everyone, but you don't have to be spiritually gifted in encouragement to actually encourage. It should be something that all Christians strive to do. And if you are one of those more discouraging people and you know that about yourself, this should be one of those areas where you strive by faith to live obedient to the Lord, to be an encouragement to others. And if the Lord has gifted you in this area of your life, then use it for His honor and for His glory and share it with as many people as possible because we all need encouragement, do we not? We all need to be built up more than we probably are being right now. Let us as Christians, those who have been saved by grace through faith, those of us who have a sincere faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, be the most encouraging people in our neighborhoods. Be the most encouraging and, and building up people in your workplaces. Be the most encouraging people at your dinner table at Thanksgiving. It's coming sooner than you know it. Start now. Start practicing now. Being the thankful encourager uh, at those moments. We who have been saved by Jesus Christ should be more encouraging um, not only to those who are not of the faith, but to one another in the faith. Those who are in the household of God, we ought to be encouraging to and building up for. 
We ought to be using the gifts, the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to you for the mutual building up of one another. Let's just flip over for a moment and let's just look at Romans 12. In Romans 12 and in verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Oops. Been there, done that. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Listen to this. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Church, there are things that all Christians are called to do, acts of obedience that we're all called to live in by faith. But there are also things that the Spirit has uniquely gifted you to do to bring about the building up of this specific body, this local church here in Arlington and Mansfield at the fields. Use those gifts, serving behind the scenes, teaching our kiddos, opening up your home for groups, leading one of our discipleship groups, um, organizing mission opportunities at our YMCA, serving in some of the classes that we're going to be hosting in the future, uh, a host of other things. Use those spiritual gifts that the Lord has given you for the building up of this body. That is what a sincere faith will result in. Let's do that together Sunday after Sunday as we gather together as God's people here at the fields. But then he ends with this in, in verse 13, that a sincere faith will result in an eagerness in evangelism. A sincere faith, an authentic, true, saving faith in Jesus Christ will result in an eagerness for evangelism. Look at what Paul says in verse 13. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. Why? Paul had been on these missionary journeys, this being the third missionary journey when he's writing this letter to the Romans and to, to the letter to the church in Rome. If you read the book of Acts, you can hear how at different points he was hindered from going to this place or that place or caused to leave this place or that place because of persecution as, uh, as the Spirit led him. Uh, he's giving 
God credit for directing his path. He's saying, I've been prevented from going there. If it were up to me, Paul says, I would have gone, but the Lord prevented it from happening. But he says, I, I want you to know that I've often intended to come to you. Why? In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now, Paul's using farm language there, but he's not talking about farming. He's not talking about harvesting some crop that they have in Rome that they don't have in some of the places that he's been. He's, he's talking about a, har, a spiritual harvest, uh, one whom, as he would say later, others planted the seed, um, others watered, but God brought the growth. Paul was longing to be able to get to that place, to be able to add his work to others' work that had already been done there, and to be able to see the fruit of their work of sowing the seed of the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, serving those in the name of Jesus Christ, um, seeing others water that and add to that. He wanted to see the fruit of that um, come to fruition and to be able to harvest and to see people repent of their sins and believe. In verse 14, because of this longing, because of this desire, he says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, he says, both to the wise and to the foolish, both to the Greeks and to the non-Greeks who are living in Rome. I'm under obligation, both to those who were wise to these things and those who were foolish to these things of the gospel. I'm under obligation. What is it mean to be, un Paul, when Paul says, I'm under obligation, what does that mean? Why is Paul saying, I'm under obligation to preach the gospel? Is he, is he saying, I kind of have to. I mean, like, I don't really want to, but I have to. I'm under obligation to be able to do that. Uh, other translations would, would say in this verse, uh, I'm in debt to you. And what John Stott writes regarding this indebtedness was really helpful for me. I just wanted to read his words uh, this morning for you regarding the idea of being indebted to proclaiming the gospel to them or being under obligation to them. He says there are, in fact, two possible ways of getting into debt. The first is to borrow money from someone. The second is to be given money for someone by a third party. For example, if I were to borrow $1,000 from you, I would be in your debt until I paid it back. Equally, if a friend of yours were to hand me $1,000 to give to you, I would be in your debt until I handed it over. In the former case, I would have got myself into debt by borrowing. In the latter... It is your friend who has put me in your debt by entrusting me with $1,000 for you. He concludes, it is this second sense that Paul is in debt. He has not borrowed anything from the Romans which he must repay. But Jesus Christ 
has entrusted him with the gospel for them. And Christian, we need to realize that we too are indebted with the gospel for those who are around us. You, if you have come to the knowledge and understanding of the saving grace and forgiveness of sin that comes through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ by grace through faith, if you've come to realize that and have put your faith and your trust in Him, you have been entrusted with the good news of the gospel. Not only for yourself, but for those who are around you. The Lord Jesus has given you a message of hope. The good news of the gospel of Jesus to be able to share with others. You are indebted to them until you give it to them. And so you need to consider that every day that you wake up is a day that you're trying to get yourself out of debt. A day that you're trying to pay it forward and and give what the Lord has given to you to those whom He gave it to you to give to. What an opportunity. Realize every day that you wake up, you're you're under obligation to give what the Lord has given to you to those whom He calls you to give it to. Whether it's the good news, whether it's financial help, whether it's an encouraging word, you keep any of those things to yourself and you've not gotten yourself out of debt. You've not been faithful to the one who's given you everything that you've been given. What a helpful image for me this week to be able to see myself as in debt until I give that what the Lord has given to me to those whom he's called me to give it to. This is why Paul says in in verse 15, so I am eager. So I am enthusiastic. I am desiring to preach the gospel. That that phrase right there is the Greek word euangelizo. I am eager to evangelize. That's where we get that point. That a sincere faith will result in an eagerness in evangelism. An eagerness in sharing the good news. An an eagerness in good newsing them. It's like the verb of good news. Gospeling them. Evangelizing them. Christian, Is there an eagerness in you to share this good news with others? If not, would you confess that before the Lord? Repent of your lack of eagerness, your lack of enthusiasm, your lack of zeal in those things. And ask the Lord for help in that. He will give it. His Spirit empowers us to actually do it. And oftentimes our lack of eagerness is probably because we've been trying to strive in our own efforts. So confess that before the Lord. If this result of a sincere faith is not present in your life, don't don't simply get down on yourself. Simply confess that to the Lord and ask Him for His help. And lay down your life as a willing vessel to be used by Him. He is more than able and willing to be able to build you up and strengthen you to do this very thing. He's called us to do it. 
He is with us when we do it. And so consider that as a part of your life as well. It was a part of Paul's life. And I think there's much for us to learn in these things, to consider our own faith. Are these a part of our life? Are our longings so God-centered? Are our desires so gospel-centered? Is what we're striving for today, this week, this month, this semester, this year, um, so eternally focused as Paul's was, so others focused as Paul's was? If not, this is an opportunity for us to confess that and lay that before the Lord and stand back up in faith in His promises and believe what He has said and to do what He has called us to do so that we might be the church in the world that we aim to be. If there's maybe some of you are looking at this list and thinking, you know, when I first was a Christian, that wasn't a part of my life, but by God's grace, I see some of those sincere fruits as a part of my life. You ought to give thanks to the Lord. Not necessarily, you know, start patting yourself on the back or looking around and thinking, you know what, I'm actually kind of better at that than... No, this is an opportunity to be humble before the Lord and just give thanks and say, do it again, Lord. Take who I am now and make me more like Christ in the future. If you're here this morning and, and you're looking at that list of uh, results from a sincere faith, and if you were to honestly assess yourself, you were to say, I honestly don't think any of those are a part of my life. And it may be because there's no sincere faith in you. There's been no true repentance of sin in light of a holy and just God. There's been no confession of sin before the Lord and before others. There's, there's been no turning away from sin and self and to the Lord. There's been no desire to walk by faith and follow Jesus, but simply to walk by sight and follow yourself. If that's the case, and yet by God's grace this morning, you've seen who the Lord is with new eyes, with new ears, with a new heart to believe these things to be true, I want to encourage you before we leave today that you, between you and the Lord, would simply acknowledge Him as God and acknowledge yourself as not God. Repent of your sins. Uh, confess that to Him. And put your faith and trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, who left heaven and came to live a perfect and sinless life that none of us could live and willingly laid down his life for you on the cross. Willingly took the wrath and punishment of God that all of us deserve upon himself and died and was buried and yet rose from the dead on the third day. Put your hope in a living, true God 
one who came from heaven to earth to save you. He's worthy of this type of life and so much more. Be willing to lay down your life for his name's sake this very day. Let's pray. God, I thank you for truths in little introductions that can help us this morning, those of us who call ourselves Christian, consider whether or not Christ is being displayed in these areas of our life. God, I pray that if these are not being displayed in our life as Christians who uh, are called as members here at the Fields Church, I pray that we would repent this morning again and believe and walk by faith that leads to obedience as we go out this week in whatever area of life you've brought to our attention that doesn't match up. God, I pray that we as a church collectively would be a church that imitates Christ, a church that shines the light of Christ, a church that proclaims the good news of Christ. God, help us to be a church that's abundantly thankful, a church that always submits to your will and your ways, a church that always encourages one another, a church that is always eager to share the good news with those who have yet to believe. God, what a calling you have given to us. What a gift you have given to us, indebted us with to be able to give to others. God, may we steward that gift well. May we not find you to return and us having held on tightly with all the gifts that you've given us, our health, our time, our finances, the gospel. God, if we are found holding tightly onto those things when you return, we are to be pitied more than any. For in giving those things away, we find even greater blessing. We find how good and how great you really are in those things. And so, God, I pray that this morning, we as your people would leave with open hands with all that you have given us, ready to give to those who are in need. And God, I pray that you would bring about this result in those who this morning have repented and believed. Help them to realize that these things are not something that they can do on their own, but only something that you can do in and through us when we have repented and believed and submitted our lives to you. So God, do a, a work in those whom you've saved today. God, you are more than worthy. You alone are to be honored and glorified and praised. And we do just that as your church this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray and praise. Amen.